My name is Jordan Belfort. The year I turned 26, I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. Hello and welcome to the Spoiler Guys podcast. Yes, we're back and we're bringing you the film reviews that are only safe to listen to after the credits roll. Resuming transmission with me today are my Spoiler Guys. Hello, Giles. Uh, Top of the morning to you, Alice. (laughs) Oh, yes. And hello, Mark. To be sure, to be sure, to be sure. Oh, okay. Because we're doing this because Alice doesn't speak Australian anymore. No. For those of you who are wondering why it's been so long, it is because Alistair and why it's been so Deported. <laughs> I got deported back to the homeland. I am, yes, recording this from the Emerald Isle. I shipped over here late, late last year and it's taken me a little while to get everything sorted. Uh, it's been adventurous, adventurous few months. Yeah, that she swapped uh, the where- Emerald City for the Emerald Isle. There's a headline in that somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it. And it's, you know, it's been interesting. It's all good. But now we're braving the time difference. We've sorted this shit out and we're uh, we're back with a vengeance. So thank you to everyone on Twitter and SoundCloud wondering where the hell we were and wishing us well. Thank you for your patience. We are back. Also, happy and Christmas, happy New Year, uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah and a crazy Kwanzaa. <laughs> and what better way to kick things off for 2014 than enjoying more than a few lines of Coke with the Wolf of Wall Street. Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio's audacious portrait of stockbroker Jordan Belfort has made it rain in Oscar nominations. But just like the film, it's not been all smooth sailing. The film has definitely experienced a bit of chop in the morality controversy department. So, Giles, let's start with you. Did you need uppers, downers, or did you go straight for the morphine in order to manage your expectations for The Wolf of Wall Street? I wolfed it down. Um, And (laughs) I, I, I almost willfully did so because... Whenever I start hearing those who are ranting about, um, oh, but this film has such a bad uh, morality tale in it, it's when I sit there and go, good, well, I'm going to do the radical thing and judge this film as a film first before we start deciding whether it's life lessons or any good because I'm not quite sure what I was meant to get out of The Hobbit. But uh, as far as life goes, I mean, I know what... Real estate. Real estate is what you're supposed to get out of Hobbit. It's all about Uh, real estate. What, in Wellington? Uh, But, uh, yeah, so, look, I I really did enjoy this. I, um, as... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio said in his acceptance speech at the Golden Globes, I think he's apparently a great comedian, uh, but I thought this was uh, just a fantastic biopic. And thank God, because we had some really shit biopics last year, so uh, it's nice to get a really good one in at the start. Nice one. And uh, Mark, were you ready to, to quit your job and hitch your wagon to Jordan Belfort's? Yeah, you show me a, you show me a check for $72,000, I can work for you right now. Um, yeah, no, it's, um, I think my expectations were actually that it was going to be a lot seriouser than it actually was. I think what was one of the great surprises about the movie is that it's actually the best comedy of the last couple of months. You know, it's actually the movie I laughed in most since, I don't know, I think this is the end. It's so freaking funny and and often in places you don't expect and he, he will take, uh, and when I say he, I'm using he as the compound for both Scorsese and DiCaprio here where they will take mm-hmm. something that's very dark and very absurd and capture both sides of those spectrums at the same time. I think like that classic moment is got to be falling down the stairs, like when oh, he's on the quaaludes. Yeah, like, that is that not like the comedy moment of the last however long? And so, yeah, I think expectations-wise, um, it wasn't so much above or below. It was really a question of I was expecting a certain kind of film because with Scorsese, you do expect a drama. He's made great comedies in the past, like After Hours, but actually what it did really well was laughs. Yeah, you could intercut Definitely. this with Anchorman too. <laughs> oh, 
Can somebody make that and send it to us, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be the ultimate smash cut. Oh, wow. So, all right, my expectations, I was kind of going in after seeing the, the trailers, going in expecting Gatsby on drugs or more drugs. And I kind of think that that's essentially what it is on, on some level. It's, you know, I had... That level, by the way, is a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> As soon as there was a candle in the bomb, I'm just like, what's going on here? Elton John was so close. So very close. <laughs> if you feed her enough beans, it still can be candle in the wind. Oh, wow. This got you weird quick, didn't it? it? Sorry. No, but these, don't you think that that's kind of what this film does, though? It, you, as you say, Mark, it is a comedy. It is completely audacious. They're having so much fun with it. It's completely over the top. And so even though I'd heard this this moral kind of pushback about you know, people actually thinking that this was a portrait of what, what one should do or or I don't even really know I, because I was just like, how could you take this film seriously? It is so, if the film starts with a direct address to camera telling you all the drugs that you take and you take morphine because it's just so effing good, I'm just like, really? How could you expect anything other than something that's completely, completely over the top and just a bizarre, ridiculous fun ride? And that's kind of, so I just went on the fun ride. I was expecting it to be, everyone had said, oh, it should be about 40 minutes shorter um, because I came to the film quite late. And, and I think I probably would have taken a bit of a, a cut to it. But that said, I didn't, I didn't find myself shifting around my seat, like wanting it to end. So just as, as a look at complete excess and complete hubris and just complete ridiculousness i i thought it was great i had a lot of fun with it i haven't really retained it in my memory it's i don't think it's like oh my gosh it's an amazing film that i'm going to go back to again and again but for like the three hours in the cinema i had a wicked time well uh, to this latter point i agree entirely I, I didn't feel like it was a three-hour film and i mean I suppose technically it wasn't it was a two hour and 59 minute film i was informed by the uh, distributor at the beginning but uh no look it's it didn't feel like three hours where there have been plenty of three-hour films of late that have felt much longer uh did i mention the hobbit mm. uh but uh <laughs> the the morality thing i find almost bizarre like there is I don't think if this film was set in any other context, people would have blinked about the morality of the film. I mean, Diana didn't get this interrogation last year as to whether she should have been held out as some sort of object to in the film to be followed. But because it's Wall Street mm-hmm. and because America is still caught up on the were they bad, bad were they good, have they fixed it, etc., somehow this film seems to have – it was like people went into – this film assuming it would somehow hang Wall Street out to dry in the way that plenty of documentaries and films already have. And what this film actually was, and always said it was, was a biopic about a guy who surfed the wave. And I don't understand how that guy is meant to be the one that when he wrote his own biography, his own autobiography, obviously, and then we're getting a film from his perspective, which he even turns up in, I don't understand why we're meant to be suddenly going, and it's really upsetting that at the end it doesn't point out that he was a bad guy. Of course it doesn't. But it kind of does, though. This is this is where I get so lost and confused with this with the narrative around this movie. It's like you watch it, you are. It's kind of playing with the language of guilt a little bit because you have so much fun with him. At no point do you think, 
yeah, he's a good role model. At no point do you ever think that unless you're actually like a high-functioning idiot. And the other thing is that a lot Which of people... Which is why America the one are argument... upset. Sorry, I don't believe that, yeah. but I had to make that joke. <laughs> I think the other thing that it popped up a lot of times and it actually did make me think about was when people started saying, oh, but it didn't really focus on any of the people he ripped, up, he ripped off. Yeah. It didn't really focus on his victims. And my argument to that is it's called the Wolf of Wall Street. It's not called the Wolf of Wall Street and his lambs. You know, like it's, it's not actually, I'm not saying this story isn't valid, but their story has been covered and he's actually hasn't, you know, his, his point of view, his view of the world, his, his particular narrative, all that he did that was good and that was bad. And then that was horrific. And then that was hilarious. Hasn't actually been captured on screen well before. And I think that is a valid story to follow, not necessarily a valid life choice, series of life choices to follow, if you know what I mean. Well, look, I think just Definitely. a brief side is I do think that the, the lambs are shown and it's not, I like to think it's not even an accident that they're Kiwis. Um, the sheep <laughs> are shown at the end and that is very much, they are there to be the nameless faces and to just say there is, you know, basically there's a sucker born every minute and they'll turn up. And that's the scene, of course, where Belfort himself is in because he introduces, mm, uh, he introduces Leo's Belfort. Yeah. So it. Like they do very much set that up to say, yeah, the, the lambs are here, but they are faceless. That's their role in life. But they, I yeah, mean, that's the well, film giving them a face, though. You're right. That that's totally them at the end. But also showing like how you know so close yet so far. This guy's you know supposedly redeemed, and then yet it ends on you know sell me this pen. And so you know he's he's a kind of died in the wall to continue the sheep theme salesman he's he's not really going to change when do you think he was redeemed like, isn't that the isn't that the point that he's supposed to isn't this supposed to have been after his jail sentence yeah but the whole that but he, he he's back, cl- the closest he, was... he got to redemption was the bus ride to jail and which is all he said was he was afraid and then he's placed all yeah. we see of his jail time is him playing tennis in fact i don't think we ever i just don't him understand why yeah, I, know, a... I love i love that scene see i don't understand why he needs to be redeemed though because no, so many Good and then bad things happen and then good and then bad things. It's like, why do we need to conform to this notion that good, 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 made some bad choices, good, 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 disaster, everybody dies. It's like there was constant texture throughout the film of good and bad choices and and I thought that, and yet they st- what is amazing though is they still managed to have that texture and yet still have a narrative arc to the film. So often there is that, that need to kind of have that crash at the end just so you have an end. What was nice is that they managed to capture the texture of comeuppance throughout the film without necessarily uh, losing a sense of conclusion. Yeah, well, they certainly gave him enough rope to hang himself. Like the whole idea of that that great speech where he, you know, brings up the woman and he's and he says about how great he's going to be. It's his big farewell speech, and he's like, "Do you know what? Fuck it, I'm staying." And it's like, "Here's the rope. Let me hang myself." Mm. But no, I guess what I just want to say right quick because I was listening to an interview with him. Uh, on KCRW uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio, and he was saying that John Belfort's very different now. Like, this is a snapshot of, of a point in his life, and he's a very different man now. So I don't think the film, to clarify, I don't think the film redeems him, but I think it shows him as a dyed-in-the-wool salesman who just really is like, sell me this pen. Like, this is his life. I also would go one step further and say, I think it would be a mistake to redeem him for the very reason people are calling for this film to have done this because if he had been redeemed or rather I suppose if as people are saying he had been shown to be you know awful and had and by that we mean essentially he eventually gets his comeuppance then I think what the message this film would actually sell is that's okay we fixed the problem 
And I think that's mm. the that, if anything, is what this film's proper statement is, is, by the way, if you think that any of this got fixed, you're wrong. And of course you're mm. wrong. No, I don't think anyone who's paid a moment's attention since the GFC or whichever acronym it gets, depending on which country you're in, that no one believes that Wall Street or the American economy or the global economy was actually fixed and that they actually came in and stepped in and restructured the investment banks. And I'm not going to start going into an economic scene because I'm vastly unqualified <laughs> for that. But I would be upset if this film, even by metaphor, suggested these people can't get away with this anymore because they absolutely can and do. And I think that's a much better and message. And have and are. Exactly. It's a much better message to be putting out there to people to say, well, look, Maybe you shouldn't be going to these sales lessons in Wellington. You should just go and work for yeah. Peter maybe... Jackson like everyone else. <laughs> go to I mean, New Zealand. Potentially... Go, go west. Yeah. No, east. No, south. If anything, it is it is just, you know, a, a grenade that's being lobbed into a conversation just or, or to be being lobbed into cultural America and just saying, like, this is still happening, people. Draw your own conclusions. Like, this is, you know, Occupy Wall Street may have died down, but they're this kind of greed, greed is good, is still happening. So the, the very fact, I think we're all in, in vigorous agreement here, that the very fact that there has been this weird controversy about the morality of the film just goes to show how far we need to go in still having this conversation of like, really? Really? Things haven't changed. We yeah. still need to be talking about this. Wall Street still needs to make some big changes. The other thing that's really interesting about the movie, I think, is how, because it is so entertaining, how much... Uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio put it back on you to a degree, like because because you are laughing along with them all the time, and, and you're and you're having so much fun with them. They will occasionally like sneak in these great moments where you start to feel a little bit guilty about how much fun you're having, and I think that's such a it's a, such a hard thing to pull off, and they do it with such dexterity. The moment that keeps coming back into my head is the the big party, and it's all hilarious and just like what the fuck is going on, and then they shave that woman's hair. And yeah. you can oh God, see yeah. that you can see she's gotten carried away with it. You can see she's not like protesting, but there's something in her face that's just like, what the hell have I done? And the film is filled with great little moments like that where he picks a moment where you're kind of on a high, you're getting lost in the demented nature of this guy's life, but he will put something in there that kind of plants a seed that says, you know something about this is wrong. And he's playing with it and he does it in such a dexterous way that it's so hard to nail that tone without being like, but you should feel guilty about this moment. And he, he never does that. And I think that's a really, that's a demonstration of just how on it Scorsese still is. Nice. I think that's really, really well said and really well accented Scorsese voice. <laughs> sure. I'm not Why sure not? Oh, okay, because I thought it was canon. I was doing a Hobbit. <laughs> I was doing. A... <laughs> we should probably just yeah, do a no. Hobbit episode and get this out of the way. <laughs> I think I think you're so right. The reflexivity of the film is incredibly powerful. The fact that you you are swept up in in the excess, and then there are these moments that you catch yourself being like, "This is actually completely odious and morally bankrupt." And I think the th- the points that were the most persuasive for me were the speeches. Um, because the he Leo speaks with almost like an evangelical preacher, like the cadence of his of his voice, the way he he grabs you know, the attention of the entire room, the way he believes it, like he's a true believer in those moments. And I could imagine, like at one point, I stepped outside myself, imagining Leo reading it, reading the script, and just being like, "Boom!" Like, "Hello!" As if, as an actor, you wouldn't want to wrap your you know arms around those features. Perfect Oscar when- montage moment totally total like oscar (laughs) bait speech definitely but like the ones i thought that i that all the speeches they brought you back to his 
demented nature, as you say, like the way that the speeches for like they portrayed this guy who just is so morally bankrupt and yet he's so transfixing. Like you're sitting there just watching him going, Yeah, I'd I I would go into battle with you, like you are amazing. So the way that you're just kind of bewitched by him, I just thought was an incredible, incredible performance. No, it was it was a fantastic performance. What's your take on Jonah Hill? Because I think he's very good in this, but I'm not convinced it's an Oscar nominee performance. What is an Oscar nominee performance these days? It's all about who you can, who, enough buzz behind your film and you can be the most mediocre thing in a movie and still get nominated. Sure, okay. and, I, he's, I, I, and, and, he, and he's not that, but I, I see where you're coming from, but I, I guess I just get frustrated with the fact that there's just so much disparity in who gets nominated for Oscars these days. And it's I so think that's doesn't off topic, represent. I, yeah, to, the question I suppose I'm asking is if you take the Oscars for what they state they believe they stand for rather than the the uh, the marketing. And I, yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, I'm not going to try and argue why he got a nomination or whether you know whether that should have happened. But I don't know if this performance. It, I don't feel like he is that stretched in this role. I actually think he stretched himself harder in Moneyball. Yeah, than he did here. I agree. The, the Oscar nomination should be about is a, an actor who has stretched themselves in some way. I mean, it's why you get the stereotypical, you know, uh, biopics and going the half retard. But they're, <laughs> that's Which the, he kind of did. No, I'd re- I think he went the, the, <laughs> he went the half 21 like jump losing- <laughs> That's so true. But that's, yeah, that speaks yeah. to the disparity between comedy and drama and why this film gets attention as a drama, even though I think we kind of know, having watched it, it's far better as a comedy. Is a comedy. Yeah, look, Johnny Hill get, got enough love for his masturbating thanks to the, the Golden Globes. But for me, I think the real standout performance is, is Carl Chandler. It's Coach Taylor. Like that <laughs> scene on the boat is just gold. Like the cat and mouse, just the way, the, the subtlety of it and, and the way that they're just, oh, it's, like the layers of, of passive aggression and then just outright aggression at the end. But it just, it's it's exquisite. Like that as a little crucible scene was was absolutely one of my favourites. Can I also give a nomination for... Ayo. Oh, yes. Ayo. <laughs> That's <laughs> the sound of Giles waking up all of his neighbours right now. Yeah, I mean, McConaughey, it's amazing. <laughs> like, it's it fantastic. Ha- it's funny, though, because, like, can you, if you had gone back in time, I was having this conversation with someone the other day, if you had gone back in time to 2004 and told everybody that in 2014 we would be talking about Matthew McConaughey in these breathless tones as this brilliant actor who's making amazing film after amazing film, if you were talking back to somebody who was stuck in between the release of Sahara and uh, and Failure to Launch and 10 Things, How to Lose a Man in 10 Days, those people are like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, but he's, from the get-go, though, like, he's had something. I don't know. I think people have been having this debate about Matthew McCurry. I totally agree. His cameo was a complete standout. And I just, I kind of wanted him back. I wanted to figure out what happened yes. to him. And then I just love that they didn't bring him back because it's just like. What I was about to say is. He probably I think just imploded. It's great direction because he's such a brilliant foundation stone to this story. And the fact that you get the call back to him when suddenly the entire room are doing that beating of the chest singing and they clearly know that moment. Like that, that isn't the first time that's ever happened to them. That's like every Friday at three we beat our chests and make those strange ape-like noises. And <laughs> that's a fantastic callback without, you know, in a three-hour film, weirdly, that was it was quite restrained. Like there are scenes, and you know, imagine we'll come to it. There are a couple of scenes I'm like, I'm not sure that worked. But 
that stuff works perfectly. And he he was given one scene to just chew the scenery, ironically, in a restaurant. Uh, mm. And he and the reconnaissance, as the hashtag has been uh, calling it, uh, continued. <laughs> um, I did want to That's ask. That's not an original. I, I have stolen that from Twitter. Own it. Own it. Every, pretend like you did. I did want to ask that despite the fact that I think it is a brilliant film, there were some things that did stand out to me. And I want to know if they – did anyone notice how bad the continuity edits were? There were so many edits. It was intentional. No, no, I, I, no! It was not intentional. It was. It, I'll <laughs> that tell was you why what it was. I phrased it that way. I didn't buy that either. <laughs> no, you know what it is. <laughs> There's a reason the film is one minute under three hours, and th- to me, it smacks of a movie where they went through and they just shaved seconds and seconds and seconds, and that's what you. And that's how you end up with those bad continuity edits, where they'll cut from somebody in a in a wide shot to another wide shot. She's clearly been in. Uh, they're clearly midway through conversations. They've cut lines out of dialogue. They've obviously shot a lot. There's obviously been quite a fair bit that was probably improvised or, or at the very least kind of workshopped a little bit. And they've just shaved seconds and seconds and seconds. And as a result, if you're used to looking at those things, and I, I don't know ma- many people picked up on it, but if you're used to looking at edits, you just mm-hmm. kind of start to see he cut the wife, the wife, his first wife got so many weird edits. Sorry, can we, re- can we refer to her appropriately as your mother? Because you do yeah, realise that that is mother. how I met your mother, the mother. Oh, is that who she is? And I literally said that the whole time, yeah. going, is that "This would be awesome is? if they can somehow wrap that into the the final season of How I Met Your Mother." I just wanted a yellow umbrella. I just wanted. Yes. A, I was like, "Where's the yellow umbrella?" <laughs> yes, oh, that, that, right. Her, her name is Kristen. That explains. Right, because that explains why everybody in this. Because I'm, I, I, I've never watched. Oh, I've watched occasional episodes of How I Met Your Mother, but I understand it's very, very, very good, and people like it a lot. But the, the thing of it is, is people like gasped when she went on the screen. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck this is. What's going on? What have I missed? And she came essentially well, we, out of nowhere to do How I Met Your Mother. They get there was a casting director. I've, and I've spoken to the uh, the showrunner of that, and they very much, uh, yeah, ha- they just had a casting director who said, "Oh, I met someone." about a year ago, who is your mother when you finally get around to casting it? And they had, she walked in and they didn't bother really looking much further. Like she'd done some <laughs> Broadway, but not a lot of TV. She was great. Oh, wow, she's great. And what about, did anyone gasp when we recognised Neighbours alum as the second wife, Margot Robbie? She was certainly, she certainly copped a punch to the gut pretty well, but uh, I, think I actually th- thought she did pretty well. Yes, I but I think we great. can safely say you watched it in Ireland if the first time that you worked out that there was a Neighbours alum in that film was when you were watching it because in Australia yeah. that was sort of, you know, it was. I, she you may was have everywhere. heard of Martin Scorsese or Leonardo DiCaprio, but I swear they were down the billing according to some Australian publicists. Well, the, de- oh, the, the deal okay. is that she, she was the only one that came out. So well, she she basically she returned home for Christmas, and then they got her walking down red carpets in in all the in a couple of the major cities, and she just did a bunch of media. But I thought she was great. I think what's actually interesting about her is that she's clearly managed her career quite well because within two three weeks of this film coming out, she they put out a press release, and she had signed up to three other major roles, and so she's really kind of kicked on from this exact moment on. Can I say I actually was yeah. very impressed with her. Uh, having you yeah. know, taken the Mickey, she was genuinely impressive because that both. Uh, how do I phrase this? Physically, she is susceptible to just being cast type, and that role was absolutely there for her to be, you know, just pretty much stereotyped as the blonde, uh, money-seeking wife. And she genuinely put a lot of nuance into uh, that role and. Usually she didn't have a lot of dialogue to do it in. 
because to go back to what Mark was saying with the with the edit, the the other thing I've been told is that Scorsese was editing it right up until the last you know moment that he had, and so I think that's also why that edit is a little rough. But I suspect she may have more dialogue at times that was there to justify that she had a brain and that she had motivations, but she managed to convey that in those other scenes so that it, I don't I didn't feel like she was left stranded without her one scene to prove that she was you know, a, a woman with, well, not necessarily integrity, but with, with intelligence behind it. Well, it's it's the splashy water scene for me. Yeah, and then when she got punched in the guts and that entire scene with the kids being taken is just, oh, yeah. that's horrible. Yeah, to me, that's when she, when she, that's where she really proved her point because she was, yeah, as you say, this, this blonde, she could have just been this blonde bimbo who gets a kid off throughout the whole film. But for that, for me, she, I, she surprised me in the nanny cam scene. And then again, when she copped the punch in the gut, um, she really built that. I felt how stricken she was when she's trying to rip her child out of the car when he's trying to reverse through the garage. I was like, I had my heart in my throat for her. So, like, all power to that performance. I liked also that the way that she broke up with him, admittedly before he hit her in the stomach, but the scene where they showed basically Leo showed us his O face. Uh, was that entire sex scene was so terribly humiliating for DiCaprio, which I think was nice because it it gave the balance back after we'd had the nanny cam scene. Like I I know there's a lot of consternation about that scene and and why it is necessary, but I think it goes towards, you know, the the character of uh, Jordan and just how bloody awful he really was, even to someone when – the. Out of the entire conversation with his wife, he found the funny thing, the fact that she was doing that in front of a nanny cat. So, yeah. yeah. And I also just, I mean, that just goes to prove that other point, which is that I don't know how people can make the argument that it is totally glorifying his existence when you watch that scene. And no, no one watching that scene is of the opinion that he's, he's a good guy. Like this is where I feel like those arguments about his lifestyle being glorified just kind of fall down on their face. Like you kind of, you can pick a few scenes out of it in isolation and cut them into a package that make it look like it does that. But the whole film taken in its entirety actually presents a very nuanced, horrific, hilarious times po- uh, picture of a guy. I think, I think it's actually just, again, it's, it's, you got to take that film in its entirety and those individual scenes do really marvelous things by themselves, but together, you get this nice kind of tapestry quality. Yeah, there's almost an irony in the fact that they have a scene or a, a storyline in the film about the fact that there is an article written saying what an awful person he is, which, of course, gives him the tag Wolf of Wall Street, and the response of the world was to want to work for him, and yet people come to this <laughs> film and go, I wanted it to tell me he was an awful person, and you feel like going... They tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. No. <laughs> yeah. Did you not catch that bit in the film? But speaking of, of the of writing, I can't really talk about a film about se- selling without mentioning uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. And, you know, I don't think this is this quite has the level of, of Mammoth, but I think Terence Winter, who comes from Boardwalk Empire and Sopranos, I think he does craft as you say, like it's this comedy but it's this drama and there are these moments that you just that you step outside yourself and you just realise that this is an extraordinary, extraordinarily written portrait of a complete narcissist. And I think that's actually really hard to do. So Quick question. Yeah. Giles. Just to continue the trend, have any of us read the book? No. no. I have read the article, Good. though, the original article that was written. <laughs> I'm yeah. just glad none of us have read it. Drink, drink, drink. <laughs> yeah. Drink. Uh, but did any – and none of us interviewed Margot and 
Come on, give us a history reference, Alice. We need to go for the trifecta. I, I mentioned I mentioned that I'd interviewed the How I Met Your Mother showrunner just to try and oh, get something in. Drink. Ah, drink. Ah, <laughs> drink. Yeah. Um, so the, the history reference is that that on the way back from the, the cinema, uh, we, we definitely got on the wiki page and we're like, oh, wow. So he, that the uh, boat ride. The boat really thing happen. really did and happen. This, Everyone the, did that. The plane thing really happened. And and you were, you certainly did want to figure out what was real. And I just was like, well, yeah, it was batshit crazy. I don't think you can make that stuff up. Like, okay, it was completely Can, can we also top. agree the boat and plane scene sucked? Because I, didn't, I was, liked it. I, I, that scene was it done was, it, better. It, it, it would have been the thing I would have. It would have been. It, it definitely would have been the chunk that I would have dropped. But this is the other thing with the length, right? Not all of the length contributes a, a ton to the central story, but I never was bored, you know? Like, I, I kind of just wanted to stay in that world. And even with the boat thing, it's like, yeah, this is weird, but fuck it, let's go there. Like, it was, <laughs> I was having so much fun that it just kind of worked. To me, it was the only part of the film know. that I was bad, like... poorly executed. Like, actually, particularly by the time you got to the plane crash, like, it looked like something I'd that expect in a cut scene in a video game. Yeah, yeah the plane was Production-wise, it wasn't, it wasn't great. But, like, we had to get to the, to the bottom. Like, we, he had to kind of faceplant for, for it to have built to the lewd scene and the, the overdose and then that just hilariously protracted climbing down the stairs and into the, into the car. Um, like, and then for, and then the overdose, like we had to kind of get to the point where you realize that this is someone who is completely out of control. If you hadn't already realized that, like here is a person, he is just a child. Like he is someone who can't do without instant gratification with everything. And that's why I wanted to actually ask you guys, because that, the, that kind of spasticated quaalude scene where he's crawling down the stairs was hilarious, but it went for so long that to my mind it was that reflexive we're actually supposed to take a step back and think, holy shit, like this guy, you know, it was incredible physical performance, but this guy's out of control. Like this is this is absolutely ridiculous. And then the fact that we come back to it and he thinks he's got home, you know, scot-free, and then you come back and the car's been completely totaled and you see what actually happened. Like if that isn't the moment where you're supposed to if you didn't already realise this was an unreliable narrator, realise that this is an unreliable narrator. I think you needed that scene to just to, to kind of stop being on his side. Does I do sense? think that the, the, the advantage of the boat scene is, is kind of held in the fact that if Jordan Belfort ever told a story from his life, it would be, I was once in this boat, and we were so desperate to kind of go to this thing that we capsized, and then I got a plane to come visit me, and the plane fucking exploded. That, like, that, the, if you were to ask him in person about the story of, you know, the episode of his life that stood out, I imagine that would rank very highly. And therefore, in that regard, it's, it's, I feel like that kind of contributed to why it's central to this film, even though it's not necessarily central to the narrative of this film, if that makes any sense. It doesn't necessarily justify it, but I think it might explain it. Yeah, oh, look, I, I suppose I, I didn't articulate my concern. It, it very much was about execution more than justification. I, I, I okay. genuinely felt like it, tro- it suddenly shifted into – it did. It felt like the opening sequences of Arrow, and I realised that partly that does go to what you're saying, like that, that it is the way that Jordan Belfort would have told this tale. But I just – I don't know. It, it, it was a scene that jumped, broke me out. In a different way, and to, probably to go to a different topic, the – the scene in which they challenged the butler over the uh, the 
the, the party that had been held in their apartment. It was a very weird scene, and I, I know it's caused some controversy as well, and, and particularly for the way that it, you know, Jonah Hill's character briefly was sort of alluded to being, you know, that it, he, he might have sort of bisexual leanings, and it was just a very strange scene that I that was the one scene I really think could have been trimmed like I understand what it was but that that shows he's got actual connections but that shows he's got actual connections to the criminal world though that that would have that's I guess I mean there would have been a simpler way to do that uh, for sure fair enough well on um I wanted to loop back to to Gatsby now Giles I think you and I are really big fans of, of that film potentially a bit more than than you Mark but do we think that it's kind of two sides of the same coin or is, is uh, Leo riffing on a certain theme here? Like, did you, did you kind it, of see those similarities? I think, I think Gatsby's such an innocent guy though. Like I, I do think that there are obviously similarities, but the difference is Gatsby is a guy that has such a, an idealistic take on the world and he's just trying to use all the money he has to make that world, make the reality of the world fit within his ideals of the world. Whereas this guy uh, he's kind of, he's ideological, but he's not idealistic. You know, he's got a vision of how the world should be and he forces it through uh, other means. Oh, I'm talking myself into a corner here. I, I, I see I see some similarities, but but I don't know that they're necessarily same sides of the coin, different sides of the yeah. same coin. Yeah, I'm. but I actually agree with you entirely. I, it's funny, watching it, it just didn't echo at any point. And then, of course, you know, the conversations, I'd, I'd you know, notionally thought about it beforehand, but as I watched it, it just never occurred to me because I think this is a genuine tale of, yeah, this one man who is just, he's hes awful. He's a terrible human being and he is trying to just manipulate life and take everything from it. And whereas Gatsby to me, it is, it's almost a tale of, of competing innocence. Like, Jordan Belfort would have been Joel, Joel Edgerton's character in Gatsby more than it would have been Gatsby. It's totally. Know, it's like it's the person who he he sort of hates humanity and is just trying to win. And Gatsby's not trying to win. And I, I again obviously see the the just the superficial and 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 even some thematic you know similarities obviously to do with excess and greed, but and Manhattan. But I, yeah, I, it didn't. Certainly, I don't feel like they were. I, I, I think it's a bit simplistic saying they're two sides of the same coin. I think that there's a single-mindedness to both characters, and I'm just, I, I think, yeah, two sides of the same coin is is a bit is a bit simple. But I think more in terms of what potentially attracts Leo to these roles, and that's someone who is so single-minded that everything else becomes justified. And uh, Gatsby, yeah, he, there was a naivete and, and the, the end goal was, was love and, and Daisy, but he also did some super sketchy things to go there in the name of getting to that place, of, of getting to the, to the green light. So I think that there is that, that yeah, the single-mindedness was, was something, was a leitmotif, I think, between the, the two characters so before we wrap up, I wanted to get your thoughts on the subway ride home. So we go back to Carl Chandler. We go back to that subway. Is that, how did you guys read that? Is that a moment of, again, of reflexivity where we're supposed to take stock of our lives? Are we on the subway or are we? They're the people the that ignore. In- they're, the people, <laughs> they're the people that for whom this will continue because they do not care. I think those people on the train are the sheep. Um, I, they, this is why I find it bizarre that people say that they're, they're, the, 
the victims and, and the, the, the rest of humanity are not in this film. They're not into it very often. But Kyle Chandler is on that train to look around and go, Jordan Belfort may be an absolute sod, but he also was absolutely right when he said that on the train. That you know, Because he even looks down and looks at his own suit, and you know that's the reference to when he said, I am wearing the same suit over and over again. And so he is right, but so was Belfort. And that's the difference mm-hmm. between morally right and accurate, I suppose. But that's that's what I took that scene to mean. I I think it is saying, yeah, it sucks not to be Jordan Belfort as well. Mm. <laughs> it's got poetic truth as opposed to factual accuracy, I suppose. Pyrrhic victories, in a yeah, sense. Yeah, I really, mm. yeah, pyrrhic victory. I did like that moment. I like the moment just just to take stock. It's just yeah, it's a bittersweet moment, and I'm glad that it's in there. I mean, the the film is is satire and even in a moment that you're supposed to feel a bit of uh, grace or understanding, it's undercut with just, damn, I'm in a shitty suit, sweating my balls off in the subway. Like, this this isn't fun. Maybe there is a better way. Or, you know, is it worth it? I don't know. That scene could have been better if Josh Radner was on the train so that, you know, we could even <laughs> see that uh, he was about to go and meet his mother. But your mother, brother. <laughs> Nice one. All right. On that note, thanks, guys. Uh, I should say, you know, we can work on our sales pitches. We can work on our, on our sales pitches for sell me this podcast, the spoiler, guys. <laughs> sell me this podcast, guys. Sell me this podcast. Have you seen the film? All right. Yes. There. Sold. <laughs> nice no, no, no. Do you have forty-five minutes that you've got nothing to do with and can't find anything, anything else to do with? Then this is as good as n- no other option. <laughs> what a great. Great sales pitch, Charles. It's a poor quote. This is as good as no other option. (laughs) If somebody can do us up a poster to that effect, we will tweet that. (laughs) All right. And to our listeners, thanks so much for downloading this episode. We'll be sure to bring you more from the Spoiler Guys very soon because we are back.